You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjax.com. Morning, everyone. Good to be here. Antley's off uh, skydiving somewhere in Sri Lanka or something. I, I, I don't know. Just kidding. Um, it's good to be here. We're kind of continuing on this theme of exuberance. Is that what it's called? Exuberance. Yeah. Overwhelmed. That's it. Sorry. It's been powerful. I mean, no, I'm just kidding. Um, and we're continuing on talking about the fruit of the Spirit, basically. And um, we've talked about love and peace. And last week, Emily did a talk that was just about walking in the Spirit, really, in surrender. And um, I think he's going to add some more fruits. There's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And then I think he's going to add a few more, like exaggeration or something like that. But I'm not sure that's the fruit of the Spirit. I'm no, just kidding. All right. So today I'm talking about the fruit of the Spirit of joy. And I think our church is a pretty joyful church. I feel kind of, I feel kind of odd talking about it. But the Lord put it on my heart, and I want to talk about joy. But I feel like we are a joyful church, so this is, this is uh, interesting. Uh, before we get started, I wanted to, to talk about just my, my idea of the fruit of the Spirit. Ellen did a great job last week of talking about just the, the fruit of the Spirit, how we, um, how we have access to the fruit of the Spirit. That, in other words, when you become a Christian, when you receive Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, every single one of you. We all grow in the Spirit. We all mature. We all, as we develop in, in the Lord and spend time with the Lord, we grow and mature and all that stuff like that. But we have access to the fruit of the Spirit immediately. And I think a lot of us, a lot of times, I think of people as, you know, this person's more patient, or this person's more kind, or this person's more gentle. And that may or may not be the fruit of the Spirit. That may just be them naturally. It could be a person from work who's just a, you know, not, even, not even a Christian. They're just patient people, or they're just gentle people, or they're kind but the fruit of the Spirit we have access to, every single one of us, when we receive the Lord. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit, marked by the Spirit, and we have the Spirit. That's why in the Greek, it's singular, the fruit of the Spirit, not fruits of the Spirit. In other words, you're, it's one fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It's all one, and you get it when you're, when you're a believer. And we, we think of it sometimes as, I get, I'm patient, but I'm not self-controlled, or I'm, you know, joyful, but I'm not kind. But we have access to all that stuff. And I know, I know we grow in it as well. It's progressive. But I think it's important to remember that when you, in those moments, in those moments of frustration, temptation, anger, in those moments, you can say, Holy Spirit, right now, would you produce, even though I don't feel it or have it usually, would you produce joy? Would you produce self-control? Would you produce love? In that moment, when you get cut off at 95 and you want to, like, take the Glock out. I'm just kidding. When you want, when you want to respond to the flesh, we make choices every day. There's, a, there's two roads, and God gives us these moments, these choices, these situations, where we can respond to the, to the flesh, which is, you know, shoot the guy that just cut you off or something, or we can respond to the Spirit. Lord, I need right now your self-control, or I need your joy. For me, what this looks like for me, besides the getting cut off in traffic, I drive a lot for, for work. I also have these um, assignments for work. Every week I, I send reports to uh, my office in Virginia. And um, these reports are, uh, you know, three to five hours each, okay? And I send these, these reports. And they, um, there's this little office up there somewhere in Virginia. It's like a, they're called reviewers. And they review all my reports, like 10 of them a week. And um, I imagine them, like, with dark robes and in this, in this dungeon, and they're all just looking at these things, and they want to just, just find things wrong with them. And, um, and, with, and basically what they do is they look, for, they look for problems with the report, essentially. And then they, 
they make a determination to send these things back. They're called reopens. So without fail, Friday afternoon, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, emails come in and there's reopens. And I've done this for four years now. I've had this job for four, over four years now. And you'd think I would, you'd think I would have learned by now to expect these, these reopens. But every Friday, it's just like, it just can destroy your weekend. It's like, these reopens, like something ridiculous. I imagine they're all sitting around this office and they're just like waiting to press the send button on their email. All these little like minions, these little minion reviewers. And they're just like, let's ruin their week. Because we don't like them, they don't like us. And there's just like this tension there. It's not good. Anyway, um, and they press this button to send. They all just, they all just rejoice when the, all these reopens go out in, into the cyberspace. <laughs> And people are just ruined for the weekends. And so I just know, I have, I've learned a little more. A little, I'm still not great. I think I had five this week. Um, I, I just have to respond now and say, God, okay, I do not feel joy. I do not feel peace right now. But Lord, I ask you right now, would you just give me your perception, your perspective, your fruit of the Spirit in this moment before my weekend's ruined and before I send them a virus or something back or something. So... And that, that's beginning to work. It's just beginning to work after four years. It's taken that long. But I feel like we have to, we have to understand that. We are Christians. So there's no, it's not like you're going to get self-control in 20 years. You know, you have it now. You have access to it right now if you're, in the, if you're in the Lord. And you do grow in it. But I'm saying as you agree with the Spirit, as you agree with what God is doing in your heart, as you say, yes, I respond to this. I choose joy. I choose self-control. I choose the Spirit, really. And it begins to produce the fruit in our lives. So I want to say that before I get started. So, joy. What is joy? In the scriptures, there are over 200 verses with, with joy or joyful. So it's quite a big topic. There's natural joy, which is obviously things that any of us can experience. We experience natural joy from our baby being born or getting married or a promotion at work or not getting reopened. Um, we experience joy naturally. That's just normal. That, those come and go. Obviously, those are temporal things. Your, your promotion at work or your raise or your, your wedding, those, there's highs and lows in life. We, we do have natural joy, though. But we can choose to live for those or we can choose to live by the Spirit. And there's also what, what I would call supernatural joy. And that is produced by the Spirit. Um, when I look at some scriptures, the, uh, the main theme that I saw out of these, I didn't look at all of them, but most of them, there was a theme of Holy Spirit producing joy. So 1 Thessalonians 1, 1.6, I'll just read some of these verses. These are out of order, I think. I may be going out of order. Um, if you have 1 Thessalonians. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So the joy that we're talking about today is Spirit-given. It's from the Holy Spirit. Luke 10.21, next one. At that time... Full of joy, Jesus, sorry, full of joy through the Holy Spirit said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Again, even, even the joy of Jesus came from the Holy Spirit. So it's a byproduct, it's a product of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 13, 52, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I also noticed another theme of joy being an emotion. Like it also, I, I believe it's more than emotion, but it's not, it's not less than an emotion. It is an emotion. It is a feeling that we have, that we can experience in worship, we experience it in life, and we know Jesus, experience it in natural things as well. Psalm 95.1, there's a theme of like this action. Like, in other words, 
Joy evokes response. So, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. When I look through these verses, it's like where there was joy, there was yelling, there was clapping, there was singing, there was dancing. It was like it's a response to what God is doing in our lives and what the Spirit's producing in our lives. Next verse is Psalm 118, 115. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. And then Psalm 98, 6. A lot of scripture verses, so I just wanted to kind of give an overview. With trumpets and the blast of ram's horn, shout for joy to, for the Lord, the King. So what this is basically saying is that when we enter in worship, we choose to be worshipers, we will experience the fruit of the spirit of joy. And worship is more than singing, I know that. Worship is more than us on a Sunday morning for an hour. It's, it's our whole life. But what I'm talking about mainly right now, this, this element is, is worship. And essentially what I believe worship is, is we are gazing upon God. We're gazing upon that which is greater, more beautiful, more glorious, more worthy than we are. And as we gaze upon him, we experience joy. It's like walking into, a, again, I used before, walking into a museum, you look at a, an amazing piece of artwork, a sculpture, or a painting. As you look at it, 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 you didn't produce it, you didn't make it, but it produces in you a sense of awe or wonder or appreciation. And that feeling is the same feeling that we get when we look at that which is more glorious than ourselves or more good than ourselves or more perfect than ourselves. And we look at God in worship and we sing and it produces something. It produces joy, produces awe, produces wonder. That's the Spirit working inside of us. So as we behold Him, we experience the joy. And I've talked about this before, the idea of beholding and becoming. What we behold, we become. So if we behold the, the King of Kings, the lover of our souls, the, bride of, the bridegroom, we become more like Him, and we experience the joy that is ours in Christ. Does that make sense, I hope? Um, so Jesus is the most glorious object, the most glorious thing we could gaze upon. He's not an object. He's a person. He's, he's a king. And I want to read this scripture that describes him. And if you really struggle with this, I mean, I realize, I realize this may not be easy because I think we, it's easy to get together in a sense when everyone else is doing it. But it's much more challenging to do it tomorrow morning or on Friday night or whenever it is. It's harder to gaze on Jesus and feel sometimes joy. It's harder to. And, and what that looks like for me is I will take verses in the Bible that talk about the Father, talk about the character or nature of Jesus, and I will just read them out loud, and I'll pray them. So Revelation chapter 1 is a description of Jesus. And this is the description of Jesus as after the resurrection, John seeing him on the island of Patmos, and he is having a revelation of Jesus. The book of Revelation, by, by, by title, the title of it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not called revelations. It's called the revelation of Jesus. And this is, a, this is the revealing of who Jesus is right now at the right hand of God. It says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. This is John. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among them, among the lampstands was one like a son of man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white as, like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like glowing, bronze glowing in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance." 
What a description. I mean, to think of Jesus in this way, we often think of him as, as when he was on earth, obviously, as meek and tender and that kind of stuff. But like, this is who Jesus is right now. His eyes are flames of fire. His hair is white as wool. His feet are, are bronze. And his voice sounds like rushing waters. This is the king that we serve. And as we gaze upon him, as you read these words, I would just challenge you to read these words. God, would you show me your son? Would you reveal to me the beauty of Jesus Christ? And that produces joy. That will produce something in us. The spirit wants to reveal the beauty of the Son. That's, the Spirit exists to show the Father and the Son, to reveal the Father and the Son. That's the purpose, main, mainly the purpose of the Spirit, is to, to show off the King of Kings. And, and so if it's hard for you, just pick some verses, like that verse. Read Isaiah, Isaiah 61. He was a man afflicted with sorrows and suffering. And you just read through the description of Jesus and you see the beauty of Christ and it produces something in us. Spurgeon the great preacher said this. If you have the quote up there, this is an amazing quote. He says, But as for you who are Christians, a simple look will not be enough at Jesus. You need to keep on gazing at him and for him to keep on gazing at you till Jesus shall say to you, You have ravished my heart, my sister, my bride. You have ravished my heart with one glance of your eyes. And you will say to him, He brought me to his banqueting table and his banner over me was love, for I am sick with love. It hits us when we look at him. It'll hit us eventually that he looks at us as well. And he actually is moved by us. He actually enjoys us. If you're looking for that, though, it doesn't happen as easily. If you look at him just because he's beautiful, because he's good, because he's worthy, if you look at him because he's, because he's our Lord, what happens is it, it, it hits us. He, he says back to us, I love you. I enjoy you. I chose you. I called you. I predestined you. And that hits us, and that produces abiding joy, not just a momentary Sunday morning thing or a, or a, you know, a prayer meeting thing, but it produces abiding joy. When we, when we can see ourselves as the beloved, as the beloved of God, that becomes abiding joy. In circumstances of our lives, when they're good or bad, highs or lows, failures or successes, we, through worship, through gazing on Jesus, can have joy. I'm going to take a break for a second from my talk. I feel like there's a couple people I wanted to give words of knowledge for. I just feel like there was a prayer this morning, and I feel like I, I need to say this. I feel like there are people, a couple people here specifically that feel none of this. And what I saw this morning during worship is I saw a puppeteer, like a puppet strings attached to you. I don't know who you are. I'm not pointing people out like you or something. It's you. So, but I feel like you feel like, you don't feel this. You feel like there's something else that, is, that has control of you, some circumstance, something in your life. And I want to say worship will break that yoke. Worship breaks the yoke of that control or whatever it is. Worship, a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness, the Bible says. I saw another picture of people here that have like this feeling of tentacles in their, in their I don't know, around them. I saw like an octopus. And I was like, God, what is that? And it was, again, it was like these tentacles like shock you or something like there's like a sense of pain there's issues in your life that are that when you try to enter in or you try to see what other people are doing you you don't feel it in other words so again i would just encourage you to go for it in worship to break off in jesus name that yoke 
and, and say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for it. Even if I don't feel it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pursue you. The first time I raised my hands in worship, I mean, I remember this distinctly. I was, I was at a charismatic church. I was going to the church to disprove the church. I was going there because I really thought the charismatics were crazy. So I was going to this church, and I was like, I was in college, and I was like, I'm going to prove that they are nuts, and that this is all just hype, and it's all just, you know, emotion and, and all that stuff. And, and I went there for several months, and I, all of a sudden, I kind of fell, I just fell in love with these people, and I fell in love with their, their joy and their worship. And this was, this was back in the day when, like, crazy stuff was happening in, in, the, in the vineyard church, and there was radical healings, and I was just, this can't be true. I, I want to see the x-rays, that kind of stuff. But I remember the first time I raised my hands because I, I had had this problem with people raising their hands. Like, it's, it's distracting or it's, it's, you know, it's emotional. It's not. But I remember, there, I felt like there was a ceiling right here. I was like, Ugh. like, what is this? But there was, there was a spiritual yoke that, was, that, that God was trying to produce the fruit of joy in me. And I was like, trying to raise my hand. I, I couldn't do it. And I finally just broke through and said, I'm going to do it. I didn't feel anything, but I just raised my hand. I just did it. And it slowly, over time, happened. And there may be some of us here, that, I don't think that's the case, but most of us, but there may be some of us here that feel like we can't enter in. And you'd have to just choose it, I think. You, you choose to do it and, and, and enter in what you know the Lord wants for you. I mean, he wants you to walk in freedom and he wants you to walk in joy. So with that, back to my talk. Um, the, uh, the idea of worship, though, goes beyond just us singing and us corporately engaging in, in, uh, in, in worship. I believe worship is our whole life. In other words, Romans 12.1 says, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. So all of life is worship. It's not just singing together on Sunday morning. It's how we treat our neighbors, how we treat our coworkers, it's how we treat our, our wives. It's, it's what we do in our spare time. It's all of worship. And I think the key to this whole idea of the fruit of the Spirit is found right after, the, right after Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, he says this, right after the fruit is described, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. There's a few more. Any more? Self-control. There should be one more verse. Okay, I'll read it then. Um, it says, against such things there is no law. Here it is, 523. I mean, I to put it up, so. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So Paul describes this whole chapter, flesh versus spirit, fruit of the flesh is, you know, all these are things that dealing with you last week, these, all these various sins or addictions or issues. And he says the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience. It comes from the spirit. Against such things there's no law. And here it is. Paul summarizes. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I think this is the key for the whole idea of walking in the fruit of the spirit. Paul says a few chapters before that, he says in Galatians 2, 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what does it mean to be crucified with Christ? Obviously, it doesn't mean we, we die on a cross physically. It's, it's, a, it's a hard concept. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. What was crucifixion for Jesus? Not, 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 not the result of it, not, not for us as far as like salvation, but what was crucifixion? Like what did it mean for Jesus personally to go to the cross? The night before he died, he, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and with his disciples, and you remember the story, he went off by himself 
and he prayed, and he said, he said in, the, in the Greek, he says, Abba, which means daddy, dad. He says, Dad, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but yours be done. I don't know how long the pause was between those two statements, those two phrases. He says it again. Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And in that moment, Jesus is saying, this cup, this, this, this coming torture and death that is about to happen to me, I, I, Lord, if, Father, Dad, if there's any other way for people to come to be, to be our children again, for people to get redeemed and saved and delivered, if there's any other way, Lord, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. In that moment, Jesus was crucified. In that moment, he was experiencing crucifixion. Not physically, but spiritually. And he was saying, God, I want what you want above anything. And it says later that for the Hebrews, it says, for the joy set before him, for the joy set before him. In other words, he saw the, the result of the cross. He saw our redemption. He saw the bride, us, being purchased. And he says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross for, with all its shame. So the cross was essentially Jesus dying spiritually, emotionally, to his own will for the Father's will. And the cross to be crucified for us means us saying, God, above any other will, plan, desire, purpose, dream, I want yours. I want your plan, your purpose, your desires, your dreams, your thoughts above my thoughts. I want your morality above my morality. I want your kindness above my kindness. I want your whatever it is. I want your will above my will. That's crucifixion. And I believe that is, that is how we enable the Spirit in us to produce fruit. It's like, I had a, I had a vision of like last week at the 24-hour prayer thing. It's like a well. And the well is being dug. God can't fill what isn't empty though. God can't fill what isn't empty. And God is, as you Daily say, today, God, I surrender. Today, God, I crucify my flesh. I want your desires. The well goes deeper in our souls, in our spirits. The well is dug deeper. It's like we have this well that God wants to fill. And we fill it with rain. You know, the rain comes, rain goes. Temporary stuff comes and goes. We feel God, oh, good, good, good. But the well needs to go deeper in our lives. And eventually, when it gets deep enough, it hits a stream underground, the water table. And that water table hits the well, and it fills the well with living water. And that's what he's after. He rewards and he loves and he's moved by humility and surrender. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humility is like fertilizer for the fruit of the Spirit. It's like spraying on miracle Grow or something on a, on a crop. It's like that's what it is. The lower we go, the more he is moved and the more we, we allow ourselves to be a vessel for his presence. So if we want the fruit of the Spirit, if we want joy, we have to surrender. We have to crucify our flesh and its desires, and we say, God, I want what you want. If it means forgiving someone I don't want to forgive, if it means breaking off a relationship I don't want to break off, if it means changing my job, if it means moving, if it means, if it means repenting of some addiction, if it means changing the way, the way I view your word, whatever it is, or whatever it is, I don't know. But it means saying, I believe you're good. 
I know you're good. I can see it in people's lives. You're good. You're kind. You're tender. And you're worthy of me. You're worthy of all of me. And this is hard. I'm such a control freak. I mean, I say this, I'm up here kind of, I'm such a hypocrite. But like, I am a control freak. I, I really struggle with this. I want, I fear money. I fear, not fear money. I don't fear, I, I, no, I don't fear money. I'd prefer more of it. But I mean, anyway, I'm just saying I fear issues of that. I fear issues of my job and the reopens. And I fear, I fear a lot of things. But I, but I know the Lord wants me just to surrender and say, this is, this is me working in your life. Just, just, just give it to me. I'm a better leader than you, Brian. I'm a better king than you. I'm a better teacher than you. I'm a better lover than you than for your wife or whatever it is. I'm, I, I am better at being in charge than you are. So if we want joy, we go after Jesus and we surrender it all to him. I believe this is, this is my own personal opinion. I, I think Jesus was the most joyful man who ever lived. I believe Jesus Christ was full of joy. Even though we know he was a, he was a man acquainted with sorrows and suffering, it was our sorrows and suffering he was acquainted with. At the grave of Lazarus, he cries because he enters in the sorrow of Mary and Martha and the others around him. It was their sorrow he entered in. But Jesus was a man full of joy because he never went against the Father's will. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? This is, think about this for a second. He never knew condemnation. He never, ever knew shame. He never knew regret. He never knew remorse. He never knew the fear of man. He never knew those things. He must have been the most happy man ever. I mean, he, he didn't jump around, dance around like, like, like that or anything like that, but I, but I believe he must have walked around with such a sense of, not just confidence, but I mean, he was alive. He was a man fully alive. That's why we're called to, to do what he does and look like him and, 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 and have the attitude of Christ and be filled with the Spirit because we're supposed to become like that, free, free. And he says in John 15, I want to kind of close with this last, last verse. He says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy could be complete. So there it is. He has joy and in him is the fullness of joy. When we have him, when we surrender, when we daily die, our joy is complete. My friend uh, Bruce, his name is, he's a pastor in uh, Oregon of a church, and um, he speaks a lot at different churches and conferences, and he told me a story about um, traveling to this church and speaking at a, at a conference or whatever. And there was this guy during worship. He was running up and down the aisles. And he was, as he was running, he was yelling, Jesus, Jesus. And he was running, and, he, and, and Bruce, you know, my friend, he walked over to the pastor. He's like, you know, this guy is really distracting. He's really, he's really distracting, and you probably should say something to him because it's, it's probably not, it's kind of chaotic. And the pastor said, you know, well, maybe I'll talk to him later. So he kind of put it off. Bruce finished speaking. They did another worship song, and the guy just starts running up and down again, the aisles. And Bruce goes over to my, my, the pastor and says, Pastor, you know, this guy is really distracting. It's kind, of, it's kind of chaotic in here. I can go talk to him. If you want me to go talk to him, I'd be happy to. I know it's kind of uncomfortable. And the pastor says, well, what you don't know, Bruce, about this, this man is that uh, 10 years ago, he was in a car accident. He was paralyzed from the waist down. 
And he's been in a wheelchair the last 10 years of his life. And six months ago, God healed him. And, yeah, it's good, it's good. And God healed him. And now he never stops running up and down the aisles. And he said, Bruce, you're the first person to ever say he shouldn't be running up and down the aisles. <laughs> and Bruce began weeping. My friend began weeping. And God said to him, Bruce, you weren't just paralyzed before you knew me. You were dead. And if you knew who I was in your life, you would be running up and down the aisles. And folks, that's the heart of God. He has saved us from unimaginable death, meaninglessness, and hell. And he loves you. And he is worthy of all of us. He's worthy of all of our praise. He's worthy of all of our commitment and devotion. So this morning, I would, just, I would just encourage you this morning to not hold anything back. Whatever it is, ask the Lord if there's something in my life, God, what do you want to put a finger on or highlight? Hold nothing back. Hold nothing back in worship. Go for it in worship. Go for it. Be free in worship. Go for it in your own life. Monday morning, look at Jesus. Gaze upon him. See his beauty. Let him touch you. And see how, how it produces fruit in your life. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, I just thank you for the beauty of the cross, Lord. The beauty of your son saying, not my will, but yours be done. And God, this morning, I just declare that to you, Lord. We say, not our will, God, but yours be done in our lives, Lord. Not our will, not our desires. We want your desires we want your plans. We want your dreams. You're better at leading than we are, Father. So we just say, Lord, we love you. We, all, we hold nothing back from you, God. And we just want all that you have for us, God. And we want to be in you. Thank you, Lord, for the joy that you produce in us. Amen.